Welcome to the UC Berkeley Data Science Education Podcast. We're happy you're listening in today. In this space, you'll hear from a variety of distinguished data science educators and professionals. The individuals we'll speak with are diverse in experience and perspective, but share the common goal of shaping the future of data science education. Our idea is to have some informal conversations with the goal of creating community and let people hear from practitioners in this growing new field. My name is Eric Van Dusen from Data Science Undergraduate Studies in the Division of Computing, Data Science, and Society at UC Berkeley, and I'll be leading our conversation today. And my name is Kalechi Nebadam, also from Data Science Undergraduate Studies. I'm working as an intern with the division's external pedagogy team, and I'll be helping out today too. Hey everybody, today we have Nikki Wells with us. Uh, could you give us a brief introduction to yourself and what you're currently working on? Yeah, hello everybody. My name is Nikki Wells, like you just said. I currently live in Chicago. I'm a curriculum designer for pre-K through 12th grade here for, for CPS. Um, we write and edit equitable curriculum for all students to access digitally. Awesome. Could you tell us about the context of the classrooms where you've been teaching? Yeah, so I've taught for eight years. I taught down in Memphis for six, and then the last couple were up here in Chicago. Um, I've always worked in Title I schools, and so my demographics um, typically reflect of the area that I was in. And so back in Memphis, my schools were predominantly Black. Um, here in Chicago, my schools, the school I was at was predominantly Latinx. Um, and so I got to work with a nice, a nice representation of... Um, of the city that I was in, which is really, really cool. And I always taught uh, high school math. Let me get that background. High school math was my, was my world. So part of this thesis about data science education is to engage students with the topics. And they can you know, learn about data science and inferential thinking if they care about the topic. Can you comment on how you've seen that play out in the classroom? Yeah, for sure. So um, prior to 2020, I was able to teach the traditional methods, um, textbooks. I had um, some decent curriculum that I got to work with. Um, the kids loved it. Everything seemed great. Um, and then things just kind of went by the wayside when every teacher across the country, across the planet, had to reinvent the wheel. Um, and so I, at the time, I was teaching dual credit statistics and dual credit pre-calculus online, and we struggled. You know, it, it was it was very, very rough because not only was I having to get kids excited about um, trigonometric ratios and standard distribution, I had to get them excited about that at 9 a.m. on a computer screen. Um, and so I struggled. You know, I was just grasping at straws. I um, ended up doing a lot of Googling, my, my favorite um, method of finding things. And so I did a lot of Googling and I came across Skew the Script. And this really cool guy named Dash, Dash Young Saber, um, he had just come together, him and his students came together and created this really dope curriculum that's um, super engaging and every lesson is built upon an actual topic. And so, <laughs> a weird story, I sent him a, a Gmail, an email uh, on Google, of course, and I was like, hey man, your stuff is really dope, you know, I love it. Thank you from small school in Memphis. Um, and he responded, 
you know, and he was like, oh my God, like, I'm so nice. It's so good to hear someone else is using it. It's so good to hear someone else is creating these engaging lessons in classrooms. I'd love to link up. Um, and that was two years ago. And that was March, 2020. And we've been working together ever since. Um, and our goal and my goal and every teacher that I interact with, um, all of our goals is to make um, education as equitable as possible, but also maintaining the same level of rigor. Right, like when it comes to math, we have this belief that um, when it, if we need a scaffold math, it needs to be scaffolded down. We need to meet the students where they are. Um, I realize I'm on podcast. I'm using my fingers to make the <laughs> quotations. Um, we need to meet kids where they are, right? So we we, uh, we add in some really cool names, and we do like a little hip hop session, or we have kids make songs and rhymes and um, instead of us actually teaching why we use quadratic formula, we just, you know, do the little song and make sure they can remember it. And again, like that didn't fly, you know, like <laughs> it didn't work. You couldn't, you couldn't pull that off uh, these past three years. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really what we do. We try to make um, high level engaging curriculum for math. And the best part about it is we figured it out by using the lens of data science. Um, it's, it's odd to think about whenever, like whenever I sit at a table with people who are um, data science and then you have statisticians and then mathematicians and you have um, analysts and you have computer scientists and you have all these different genres of the same field. Um, we like to operate in those silos, right? And so for us as teachers, we really had to wake up and realize that we're all doing the exact same thing. And if we could pull from each other, we can actually make engaging math lessons that make students see that it's real and actually want to do it and not just get excited about other topics and other subjects. So now you're working with Chicago Public Schools at, uh, just district-wide. Um, yeah. Can you tell us something about like your vision in that space? Yeah, so right now we are um, doing a lot of editing. And so the curriculum that they that CPS has adopted is called Skyline. And Skyline lessons range from pre-K through advanced algebra. And we're expanding into um, AP calculus in the future. Um, and the point of that, the way that Skyline works is that it, since it's built for Chicago, it's, it's built for Chicago. And so the, the context that we're using when it comes to a kindergarten class, if they're measuring, um, distance or looking at a sidewalk and they're trying to, to put the blocks together, they're going to look at their own sidewalk. They're going to bring up Humboldt Park. Or they're going to talk about Magnificent Mile. They're going to talk about things that are actually here and really bringing in that cultural relevance, right? Like making it actually culturally relevant and not just changing names and, um, and making songs, you know, because American culture is not just um, about changing names. American culture is deep. American culture is TV. American culture is social media. American culture is uh, going on walks and going on hikes and understanding what's going on in our politics, understanding what's going on with every single thing that we do because American culture is so hands-on and it is so like in your face. And so we had to shift our math to be the same. Math should be hands-on, math should be in your face because it is, right? Like we're seeing the consequences of not analyzing our data. Yeah, that's a really great point that you brought up. I'd love to talk a bit more about um, the obstacles that you faced when trying to bring data science education to the classroom more broadly. So would you mind expanding on what some of those obstacles are to 
expanding access to data science education more broadly? And relatedly, have you thought about expanding your approach to a more traditional high school context? Yeah, so for me, a little bit of background. So I majored in math um, in undergrad, and my goal was to go, (laughs) I wanted to be a math professor. That was just my, I had this vision. Um, And I was getting my master's in math, and I was the I was, I was very used to being the only black person in the room at that point, um, but it got in the, when the higher up I climbed, the higher up I went, the rooms became more suffocating. And so when I found myself surrounded with just white men or just um, like international candidates or just people who are outside of American culture, it, it really like took a toll, you know? And so I just, I lost interest in math altogether. And so that was a huge hurdle for me was getting back into the love of math because I did resent it for such a long time. Um, and so I can honestly say I fell in love with math again, my fourth year teaching and apologies to those four years that I did teach where I said I loved math, but I was struggling internally. Um, and so my fourth year teaching, that was when I realized that um, statistics was a thing. And that's when I woke up and I was like, oh man, like we could... I could finally melt together my love of math and my love of history into something that could like change the world, but still be really nerdy, but also still be very applicable. Um, and so while I was teaching, it was really hard for me to um, get people on my side when it came to um, curriculum, but also meeting the need of the standardized test. And so it's, uh, I remember my, I think it was my fourth year, fifth year teaching. I was very risky. I took a lot of like, I did a lot of things I probably should not have. Um, I was very arrogant. I knew that what I was doing was the best thing ever. Like you can't tell me anything about math. And my goal for that year was to have a completely project-based learning. That was my game. Like I wanted to have everything project-based learning. Had no idea what I was talking about. And so when I went into math, I went to my math lessons and I was combing through, and this was algebra two at the time. And I was combing through all of my resources, all of my little um, activities, all of my standards, combing through everything. And I realized that I had nothing. I had nothing to build a project on. And so I sat there and I had to pull out like just old stories. And I tried to figure out a way to loop in what was going on around me into the math classes. And so that kind of started, that was like the first rung of my ladder to get over the hurdle of um, the bias in the classroom. And so I started making lessons that were reflected around us. And so the first one that I made was about a bridge and this was in Memphis at the time. And so the Memphis bridge had went out, fun fact. Um, it was out for, I don't even remember, maybe a year, two years. And so I-55 was blocked. And so I had a trig lesson for Algebra 2 that talked about the beams and how we were able to measure the beams using the angle and just just did a huge deep dive into that. And we spent about two weeks on that one lesson. Now that was a huge hurdle for me because (laughs) I'm not meeting the the requirements of my district, right? Like I'm supposed to be hitting uh, a particular standard at a particular time to make sure students are ready for the standardized test at the end of the year whether it's the ACT or up here, it's the SAT, or if it's the, uh, the STAR test or whatever standardized test the kids have to take. Um, I got a lot of pushback from that because it seemed like we were just playing a lot of games. 
and having a lot of conversations and not doing actual math. Uh, the best thing that had ever happened, the best hurdle ever accomplished was my that same year that I was teaching. We got our standardized test scores back for the 10 ready. And I had the highest scores in the district in algebra two. And I just sat there and I was like, I can't believe this happened. Like, I can't believe that the kids, that it worked. You know, when you finally did something that worked, it's like, oh my God, it worked. Like it, it worked. Unfortunately, you know, I was, I was a scatterbrain. So I didn't write a whole lot of things down. And so I couldn't emulate that the next year. And so the next year I learned, okay, when I create something, let me actually write it down and not just fly by the seat of my pants, um, which is probably my biggest learning curve. And so when it comes to, um, to another point about the, the hurdles in the traditional classroom, um, I see it a lot with my kids as well. When they have their meetings with their, with their high school counselors and are talking about college and are talking about um, what they wanna do, um, the direction is, is rarely STEM. Right, it's, it's they rarely want to go that way, um, which is unfortunate because it is not like I mean it's one of the most exciting fields you can go into, right? Because STEM is everywhere, and that's the beautiful thing. Um, and so I see them talking with their counselors all the time, and we try to get it to a we try to get it to a space where it's where I can be okay with students not going into STEM. Um, if it wasn't for them, but I really hated that I couldn't show them every aspect of it, right? And so I, I couldn't, I had an, I remember I taught an engineering class, what I was doing in there, I taught an engineering class and I was able to show them the various fields of engineering, which is great. But then I get back in my math class and it's like, okay, well, if you love math, you can be an actuary, you can be a uh, math teacher, you can be an insurance, person you can be an investor you can be like you can be all these things that are like in predominantly white male fields right like dominate in that area so not only am I unable to give you an option that's going to be exciting for you but I also can't offer you a career option that's going to get that's going to promote who you are as a person um, and then came data science right like and then came the influx of history and, and math the, the, the marriage of history and math. And now I have kids that are, I mean, fighting tooth and nail about whether Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time by using Z-scores. Now I have kids who are going out to their neighborhood and arguing with their aldermen because there aren't enough grocery stores in their area and they don't have access to organic food. However, if you're up in Lakeview, you do have access and they're pulling, <laughs> they're doing sampling distributions in their own neighborhoods, right? And so, it's, it's for me, the, the hurdle um, can truly be pushed aside. I'm not even gonna say that the latter idea worked, right? Because climbing over the hurdle wasn't possible, but we were able just to move it out of the way. Like we can go a totally different direction um, and get to the same end goal where we want kids to be in STEM. Um, and data science did that. I'd love to touch back on just a bit more about your classroom experiences. I know you were talking about how your students absolutely are enamored by data science and figuring out how to use it in their own ways. So I'd love to hear an example of a student where you felt like one of your classes or stats, math or data science classes has affected their academic choices afterwards. Yeah, for sure. So I have, I have one in particular that I just checked in with yesterday. Um, and 
she, I taught her her junior year. So this is last year. So I taught her 2021 and in pre-cal, honors pre-calculus. And I thought I was killing that class. Like I thought it was the best experience of my life. Um, and the kids who were uh, like very mathy, they loved the class. It was very like a lot of engaging activities, all of that. And this kid, Natalie, was just not in it. Like Natalie is brilliant in English, very high grades, English, history, um, science. But when it came to pre-calculus, wasn't hidden, hated it. Um, she ended up getting, I think she's C, B or C um, at the end of the year and never really gave forth any effort. You know, just wasn't, didn't engage in conversations in the classroom, um, none of that. At the end of the year, um, here in Chicago, at the end of the, the kids' years, we recommend them for their next math class. And so I recommended Natalie for AP Stats. And I chose AP Stats. There's only three options. It was AP Stats, AP Calculus, or um, College Algebra. I knew AP Calculus was not going to be a good fit um, because she struggled with like the, the structural math, right? Like the, the very abstract math. Right? She struggled with that. Um, but AP stats, I knew, I, one, I knew I was teaching it, so I was kind of a little biased. Um, but two, I was like, well, she's really good at writing. She's going to love this. And I'm telling you, night and day, she came in class the first day. And this is this current school year. She came in the class and gave her a little small assignment where they had to talk about, oh, what was the first one? Oh, the first one was about... Um, <laughs> It was so ridiculous. Conspiracy theories. And so you had to write about conspiracy theories. Pick one, explain to me why you believe it to be true. And if anyone is ever bored, if you ever want to know anything wild and the good chuckle in life, ask a high schooler about a conspiracy theory. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. They're the best. And so I asked them about conspiracy theory. The one that she gave was about uh, the 5G towers. Um, and the coronavirus and how they are related in some way. There's, there's some reason, some rhyme or reason. And she said it out loud in class. And I was like, oh my God, she spoke. I can't. <laughs> I've heard her voice twice in one week. I didn't hear it all last year. And the year kept going. We kept progressing throughout the, the month. And she, every single time I gave them a project, the first big project was linear regression. And she took it and I mean, ran with it. It was unbelievable. I had them choose which college they wanted to go to because they're seniors at this point. And so they looked at the colleges they were going to and they started compiling a list in the last 10 minutes of class. Every Friday, the last 10 minutes of class would focus on what they wanted to do in college. And Natalie, I mean, I cried like a baby, of course, when I got in the car, but Natalie came up to me and was like, you know, Ms. Cotton, I just, I really think that I want to do something in medicine. And I was like, oh, hey, cool. That's dope. You know, like you want to be like a nurse. You want to be like a doctor. And I wouldn't want to do it. Just no, no, no. I want to be like a biostatistician. <laughs> and, I, and I said, a who? You want to be a biostatistician? You, you want to be, you, okay. All right. Why do you want to do that? Well, I mean, I feel like it's, it's, Things, things need to change, you know? When I think about what happened with the pandemic and I think about like medicine and how hard it is for my siblings to get medicine and, and how like there seems to be some kind of disconnect between um, the community and the pharmacies that are there. And I just wanna kind of just learn about it and, and just use the math to prove myself to be true and prove it to be right. And I just sat and I was like, 
this is lit. Like, <laughs> this is so dope. I don't want to be selfish, but I am taking all the credit for this. Like, this is me. No, I'm kidding. Um, but she she ate it up, you know, and that it's it's kids like that. And she's not the the first um kid to change their like change their career focus after being in a stats class and being exposed to that type of data science. Um, I had a few when I was in Memphis that ended up going into a political arena uh, because they, they, it was the opposite approach. They understood math so well that when they got into stats, they were able to use that to create a platform for themselves. And like, they can engage in arguments with each other because they can remember the math and they can, it's really hard to argue with somebody with math, right? Like if I show you an equation, say, this is what it is, like, what are you going to say? Right. And so when Cortland went into politics, uh, she took that approach as well. Like, I'm going to go in it from a historical data perspective and give you all the information and then dissect it and create these charts and break down everything that you're saying. Um, but yeah, kids are wild, man. But they, I don't know. I just really hope that every single school district in the country offers just, just one, one course. Just pick any, you don't have to make a new course. Just pick any of the courses and just add in a data science unit and just watch and just watch what happens. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like we're slowly making strides to bringing, you know, data science more into the curriculum. So hopefully we'll start to see a bit more of that. But we like to end the interviews with the same question. So I'd love to know if you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for other data science educators around the world. Yeah, so I, I will say math is always viewed as difficult, right? Like math is one of those subjects that's, if you're really good at it, oddly enough, that equates to natural intelligence. If you're good at math and you're, very, she's very, very smart, she's good at math, right? And so we look at that and then we create this pipeline of mathematicians, air quotes, mathematicians, where they are really good at uh, multiplying when they're in fourth grade. They're really good at taking the square root or they're really good at squaring numbers. And they're really good at all these procedural things and that builds them all the way up to AP calculus. And then they end up in college and there's this gap. There's this disconnect between what they know and what they can do. At some point, every math educator has to implement an option for a kid to be really good at something naturally without it being something they have to memorize. And so when it comes to data science, you're able to, you enter into the arena, right? It's not, I don't present the data science to you and you just, I'm throwing it at you, take it and go. All we do is we sit together and we're engaging with this math and the way that you engage with it is different from how I engage with it, which is different from how the next person engages with it. And so the metric for excellence doesn't really exist, right? That fear of being wrong is gone because now we're in a room together and we're talking about what's going on around us and there is no right answer. And that's the beautiful thing because now we can have black and brown voices because there's no wrong thing to say, right? And so for teachers, I encourage you to continue to push your students but when it comes to creating things that are equitable, when it comes to reaching every single student um, and every single culture and every single demographic, um, you have to remember the, the fear of being wrong and create a space where kids are not only okay with that, but they're willing to keep pushing so that they can be right. 
Thank you, Nikki. That's really great. Yes. Thank you so much. It's really inspirational Thanks. talking to you. Yeah, man, this is lit. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're interested in learning more about data science education resources, please subscribe to our Substack to get notified when we release any future podcasts. And join our community Slack channel through the link provided in this episode's description. Thank you.